Well, good morning, Bridgeway Congregation. Wonderful to see all of you. Let me also just acknowledge those of you that are guests and visitors with us today. We're delighted you're here, but I have to start with an apology to you. Um, You've kind of come on a unique Sunday, not just because it's the long weekend, the August long weekend, but this happens to be my last Sunday as the transitional pastor here at Bridgeway. So, a couple things to sort of apologize right away for. First of all, if um, you are again visiting today, some of this might feel a little in-house, and so I'm sorry for that. I'll do my best to give context, but some of it will go that way. And secondly, for those of you that read in the bulletin and thought you were coming to church today to hear a sermon on a parable, because we're in a series of parables that actually I planned, but I'm going to go off script today, because I've been kind of challenged by a few people I respect to say, you know what, Don, on your last day, I think you just got to give a little bit more of a transitional report or a State of the Union address for Bridgeway Church. So um, this will be maybe a little less sermon-esque and a little more that. So again, if you, you want to pretend to go to the bathroom so you can escape at any time during this, go for it. I will not be offended. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to give you that, uh, that caveat before I, before I dive into the message. So with that, um, yeah, I just need to let you know that I'm probably going to be quite emotional today, and maybe you won't be able to tell, because <laughs> I don't know how much I'll bottle it up inside like a good male that I am, but I just want you to know how much I love you as a church, and how incredible this last year and a half has been. I want to thank you for being a church that has just been so incredibly open and welcoming. You know, so many of you have um, welcomed me into your homes, and you've welcomed me into your hearts with being honest and vulnerable about everything you felt about life and church and family, and that's been so helpful for me to do my work as a transitional pastor. So I know that for many of you, when this whole idea came about, you were going, a transitional what? What are you doing, church? Like, what do we need some guy from who knows where to come in for a year to help us? Like, what good is that going to do? I realized there was lots of skepticism about that. But let me just say thank you for enduring, those of you that had to endure me. And uh, I just praise God for the opportunity. And I praise God for significant transformation that I believe I've seen in you as a church over this year and a half. And that's just something I want to give God praise for but also, again, thank all of you for your generosity, for your openness, and also your willingness to risk and to like, be along for the journey. So thank you, and I'm, I'm just so blessed by that. Let me just stop here and pray. So Lord God, um, this morning, we lift up your name and we praise you, and we just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, uh, my heart is full today, and I just want to, um, again, give my heart to you. And Lord, I just look over this Bridgeway congregation, and Lord, I pray that your heart for each person here would be revealed personally to them. Lord, I pray that each person here, no matter where they're at in life right now, no matter how good or bad or ugly life is right now. Lord, I pray that each person here will know that you, almighty God, are for them. Lord, I pray that you will pour out the power of your spirit and in doing that, defeat the lies of the enemy that want to tell people they're not worthy, they're not lovable, they're not measuring up. 
all of those kinds of lies, I break the power of that in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the truth of the love of Christ, the one that believes in all of his children, that that would just be revealed in power by your spirit to each one. Lord, I pray over the congregation of Bridgeway. And Lord, I pray that any kind of leftover spirit of depression or angst or judgment or pride or fear or pain or struggle, Lord, I just pray that those things will be defeated in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that your heart and your will and your calling and your anointing for Bridgeway will be poured out in power. Lord Jesus, this is your church. You died for it. And Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd. You are the head of the church. You said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. So Lord, raise up Bridgeway to be everything you intended them to be. Lord, raise up the gifts here. Lord, raise up the ministries and raise up the heart and the passion, Lord Jesus, to walk with you and to be the church you've called them to be. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet, Lord, we know that in you, all things are possible. So, Spirit of God, would you release hope and possibility over this congregation? And I just pray your blessing and your empowering over them. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, in my, in my most recent conversations with many of you, I, I get asked two questions. The first question is, so Don, where are you going next? <laughs> so I can tell you later if you care. But the second question, though, that's more important that I want to talk about today, is the basic question I hear most of you ask, and you all word it a little bit differently, but basically the question is, okay, pastor, you've been here a year and a half, we've been doing this transition thing, are we actually doing any better? Has anything been fixed or healed or have we just swept everything under the rug and it's just business as usual and here we go? Has anything actually happened? Good question. Hard question, but good question. So let me see if I can, if I can give you a quick answer before I get to my PowerPoint. Sorry, Levin, I'm still not there yet. So, quick answer to that question. When I, when I first came to Bridgeway, my read on you as a church in general, I guess this isn't specific people, but my read on you as a church in general, was that you were a church that was incredibly discouraged and that you were a church that had an image problem. You were a church that saw yourselves in this way. We are broken, we are hurting, we are dysfunctional, and we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. That would have been the general feel or identity that you would have had. And it broke my heart because I saw and heard the pain, I saw and heard the anger, and I saw and heard the frustration, and it was real, and thank you for being real about it. You're never going to get to healing without being real. However, my heart also broke because I wanted you as a congregation to see yourselves as God sees you. And as I began to get to know you, and see the gifts in this church, my heart just began to fill and fill and fill. And you need to know what an amazing group of people you are. You need to know the incredible gifts that are represented in this church. You need to know the potential this church has to be an incredible light and witness to the community of Swift Current. You need to know that God has a plan for you and he has gifted you and called you 
and you are an incredible group of people. And that is truth. Now that may be, okay, Don, you're just trying to make, make it all sound so good and rosy. But it's truth. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees your potential. And that doesn't mean that there haven't been real problems and real struggles and real dysfunctional things we've had to deal with. But I would hope and pray, and the first answer to that question is, is that after a year and a half of intentionally going through some transitional steps, I would like to think that it's a healthier atmosphere around here. That there's more belief and in hope and possibility rather than in just the problems of the past. So I, I would say that. Now, in that question, I also hear people say, okay, so have we actually healed or got past some of the, some of the fighting and brokenness and it, are we just all good now? Well, I would be really naive if I was to stand up here and to say, oh, it's all good now. Everybody's happy. Nobody's got any problems anymore. Nobody's hurting over anything. Nobody's still hanging on any baggage. I so wish that was true, but we're human and we're broken and we're people. It's not true. However, I also feel we've made great strides in that. And I've seen many of you, as you opened up about your brokenness and anger, also go through some healing and forgiveness. I've seen some of you get together with others in the congregation and make your peace with them. I've seen some of you own things that were hard to own. And I've seen some of you ask for forgiveness. And I've seen there be more healing and hope and possibility as you begin to see each other through the eyes of Jesus rather than just seeing each other as the broken person that you disagree with. I've been so blessed to meet with people who left the church during the difficult times and have now chosen to come back and be a part of the body again. It may still be difficult for them, but they're choosing to be here and to take those steps. And let me just say this, because it's something so obvious that you all know at one level or not, but we all know that breaking trust in relationships happens in a moment. But to rebuild trust takes lots of time. So I get it. For some of you, there's been hurt between you and others. There's been some anger and frustration and so on towards leadership, and trust has been broken. And so again, trust can be broken like that, but rebuilding trust takes time. It takes faith, and it takes continuing to trust in Jesus to be our hope and possibility. And can I encourage you? Stay on that road. I think we are on the journey towards healing and restoration, are you ever going to fully get there this side of heaven? Probably not. But can we get into that realm of being a healthy community? I would like to believe that we're close and that in some ways we're already operating in a much healthier way. So, that, so I would answer, answer that question that way. And then I'll just add one more thing to how I would answer that question. Just in some practical things. Um, I believe that uh, you as a congregation choosing Darren to be your next lead pastor is a very good and wise decision. I'll be honest with you and tell you that it was probably within the first two weeks of me being here that my heart went, this is your next lead pastor. I knew it would be difficult for some of you because it's the pastor or it's sort of the prophet in the hometown kind of idea where you know him. He was the kid you hired 12 years ago and some of you weren't, didn't realize that now you have a mature man who loves you and has become an accomplished leader among you. And I've talked to many other leaders in our conference and so on that know Darren and that would also affirm, well done, Bridgeway. Maybe this was a known commodity and not the expert from the outside, 
but you have someone who loves you and is committed to you and is gifted and is passionate to lead you as your pastor. And so I say, well done. I'm excited for you. I'm excited that um, our search committee and leadership, and I, you know, they did great there, but we also have to say maybe God had a part in this, so thank you for praying. But we're going to be candidating a youth pastor here at the end of the month. You have no idea in the world of churches looking for pastors how much of a miracle this is. And so again, we haven't um, candidated this person or hired them yet, but I still think it's incredibly positive that we have a really awesome candidate and that you could be starting the fall with your full staff. I also think it's been incredible that um, you, know, you had long-term custodians in this church, uh, Joyce and Gerald back there that worked, worked hard for many, many years to be your custodians. When they said they were retiring, some of you were going, we're never going to find anyone to do that job. It's way too big, way too hard. And yet, you know what? God has blessed us with, with Julia. I don't think she's here today, so I can't even give her... Oh, there you are hiding back there. And not only is she an incredible worker, but she has such a heart for Jesus and love for the church and ministry that I just think, wow, God has provided again. You have a wonderful staff team going forward in this church. So I see that as a real strength for you. In this last year, we added two new elders to our elder team. Yep, the elder team was pretty beat up and struggling at times. They needed a lot of healing and a lot of um, encouragement, and, and I've tried to work with them in that. They've, um, but, you know, adding Dwayne, who you met this morning, and then adding Dave Wheeler to the team has added some really good strength and stability to our elder team, and I, I'm very encouraged. And watching Darren work with them is very encouraging to see. Lots of work ahead, but I'm encouraged about our elder team. I'm also very encouraged about our ministry team. Um, we recently added two new members that added a lot of strength to that team as well. So Gary Hildebrand in the area of management, and then uh, Josh Rempel um, taking over the, the care area. They are both godly, awesome, well, I call them young leaders. You might not, <laughs> Gary is to me as well. But anyway, awesome young leaders that are just adding so much stability and strength to that team. Um, you've got incredible action team leaders. And let me brag about one more team. This year we also put together a personnel committee. And I just love these people because they are gifted and really good at what they do and are really supporting you as a church and supporting our elder team and our ministry team in many ways. So I would like to say that a year later, you are in a pretty good position with leadership going forward. And I would just encourage you to support and be confident in your leaders. Yes, they still need accountability, and yes, there's still gonna be struggles, but I think there's lots of good happening there, and, and watching Darren lead the ministry team, good things are happening. So, those are, those are just some of the things I could go on and on. Some of you might wanna go for lunch yet today. So um, I will now finally get to the transitional report. That was just me sort of trying to answer the question. So what this transitional report is, is this is basically the report I gave at my last elders meeting to sort of give them a, my summation of the year. So I've just kind of tweaked it a bit to hopefully be more relevant to you as a congregation, but I just felt you need to see this too. And let me just say, I am not presenting this in any kind of the, uh, thus saith the Lord kind of posture. I want to just say right up front that much of this is what I see, what I sense, and what I recommend to you. So turn on your discernment, 
in every way and uh, work with your leaders and congregation in discerning some of this information. But this is kind of, again, my final report to you of where I see you and where I would encourage you in going forward. So with that, you ready to dive into it? Here we go. So number one, surprise, surprise. Support Darren with both encouragement and accountability. And I've talked probably enough about Darren that he'd be good and embarrassed if he was here. So it's a good thing he's away this weekend. But I just want to let you know again how much I believe in the character and integrity and gifting in Darren. It's been such a pleasure to work and serve with him and to have the privilege to mentor him along the way. And uh, yeah, so again, as, as your leader um, and as a new lead pastor, is he going to need time? Is he going to make mistakes? Are there going to be some, some rough spots at times? Sure. But grow with him and encourage him. Have your leaders keep him accountable. And I just want to refer to Hebrews 13, 17 there that says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. All right, next slide. Take special care not to give in to offense. Bitterness results from harboring offense. Now, I'm going to rant here a little bit because this one is so personal for me. Now, just as I've had to walk through the fight in my life to not allow bitterness to take root in my life because it's so easy for me as a weak human being to quickly be offended. Years ago, I read a book um, in the spiritual warfare area of life, if you used to read those kind of books, and the book was called The Bait of Satan. And basically, according to this author, Satan's bait is offense. As soon as we are offended and we hang on to that offense and let that offense stir and stir, we become bitter and then we are taken out in terms of our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. What I said to our elders specifically on this point was I said, when you sign up to be a leader, you sign up for criticism, expect it, receive it, but do not receive offense. Fight that for all it's worth and don't let bitterness take root. It's so important. It was just a couple weeks ago that some people told me, it sounds so funny to say because it feels a little bit gossipy, but some people told me, some critical things that people had said about me, and I immediately wanted to be offended. You know, you know when someone's critical of you and it's something that you know you suck at? You're kind of like, I can take that. But if people are critical of you about something that you think is your strength, doesn't that bug you? Like, it just, it just like, this criticism was about something that I would have described myself as being really strong in, and so this criticism just went right to my insecure heart. And I wanted to be offended. And everything in me had to fight being offense, being offended by it and letting that offense take root. And so I just had to continue to give that over to the Lord and to not let that offense create bitterness in me. You know, sadly, I, I've just seen it happen so much. And so this is such a big rant for me to plead with you as a church family. We hurt each other. We offend each other, and we so easily get offended. Don't let that offense stay. Forgive it. Go to the person that offended you and say, hey, this hurt me, 
and be honest and open and have those conversations, but deal with it. If you just stay in your offense, you will just get more and more bitter, and then the conflicts will happen again. Fight it, deal with it. Don't let offense take root. You know, back to my <clears throat> spiritual warfare training back in the day. We, one, one of the principles that has become so important to me that I continue to, to put this one as a really strong principle in my life, but it's what I call the principle of blessing and cursing. The only way that you defeat the power of the words of cursing is through blessing. It's a biblical and spiritual principle. In fact, when we curse people, now I know you're going, boy, that sounds like a really extreme word, but when we say negative things about people, gossip about people, and just in so many of our normal conversations, we have those kind of negative things, we don't think we're cursing them, but we're cursing them. And what curses do, remember, one of Satan's name is the accuser, or if you were an old King James Version person like me, the accuser of the brethren, that is one of Satan's names. When we gossip and when we slander and when we curse each other, it's like we're putting ammunition in Satan's gun. We, our words, give him the ammunition to accuse our brothers and sisters. Doesn't that break your heart? It breaks my heart to think that I have given Satan the opportunity to use my words against other people and they've been affected by my curses that should just make me broken and I'm, and I'm ashamed because I do not want to be that person. But on the flip side, the power of blessing. When you bless people, you break the power of cursing. So bless each other. Don't let offense take a grip and get you bitter. Fight it, fight it, fight it. Believe in each other, be for each other and always replace cursing with blessing. You can ask forgiveness to the Lord and to the people and then bless them. And let's fight that way spiritually and be a church that blesses each other. And as Ephesians 4 there says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God, forgave you. Okay, better keep going here. Next one. Oh, got to get my flipped pages right here. So this was just a word to the elders. This will be brief, but I said to them, stay focused on vision, discernment, and prayer. Empower the ministry team to handle business and to, do, and to strategize how to accomplish our mission and empower the person, personnel committee to do their work and celebrate their expertise. And the reason I wanted to share this with all of you is there's been a fair amount of criticism about our structure or governance model. And I would just like to say this to you. If we've had problems with our governance model, it's be, been because of poor communication. But when our governance model works well and each team does what they're supposed to do, it works incredibly well. And so this was just kind of a word to all of, our, all of our leadership to say, do what you're called to do and what God has called you and gifted you to do. And elders are to focus on vision, discernment, and prayer, and the big picture leadership and spiritual care of all of you. The ministry team are the ones that handle the business of the church and strategize how we accomplish the mission of the church through all the different ministries they lead. 
And then the personnel committee does a lot of that background work of policies and procedures and making sure that things are done decently and in order and that communication and everything happens between all the teams. And so it's just important that you understand we've got a great governance model that works really well when there's great communication and leaders do what they're called to do. But the leaders need to continually be reminded, do what you're called to do and bless and empower other leaders to do what they're called to do. Works much better that way. Okay, keep going. So, count the cost and proceed with prayerful caution when addressing controversial or disputed matters. Discern between what is best for Bridgeway now with what are the implications for the future if whatever the topic we're talking about remains unaddressed. Now, I debated putting up this list. I did it for the elders, but I didn't want it to be too much of a distraction today. But I put up a list of all the different controversial items that I have talked with this congregation about in my many private conversations. And there's a lot of them. And none of them would surprise you because they are the issues that we face in our culture today. We need to walk with such prayerful discernment here. Now, I know sometimes some of you are frustrated because you feel like, what's wrong with pastors these days? Why are there not more sermons on those disputable matters? Well, it's a very good point, and you're right. Why don't we? Here's why. When you're shepherding or leading a church, you need to be carefully discerning how we're moving forward in a biblical and healthy way. And if you overly focus on the disputable matters, you end up just creating unnecessary conflict. Now, here's the hard part of the discernment. There are times when not dealing with some of those issues ends up backfiring, and then you've got a bigger problem to deal with. And that's where wise leadership has to know what's best for the church now in terms of how we handle this gently, and when do we actually have to have some teaching and take some direction on some of these disputable matters. So anyway, it's something that we talked about. It hasn't been my role as a transitional pastor to deal with theological or disputable matters among you. My goal has been to have you walk in health and have you walk in unity and to revision and to reset for the future. But some of these issues are going to come whether you like them or not. The question is going to be, the next time one of these disputable matters comes up, and you've got division in the church, are we going to choose to act humbly and graciously to each other and have conversation and trust and to seek the spirit and the word together and to trust our leaders as we walk through it? Or are we just going to walk in an arrogance that says, I'm right and everybody else is wrong, and until they get my side, I'm just going to be mad and offended? We've got to choose now what kind of heart posture we're going to have. And, you know, I put this verse up from Romans. It says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, what I love about this verse is that when we read it, and you'd have to go back in context to get more of it, and I don't have time for that this morning. But um, we all like to think that the weaker brothers, those, that's everybody else. My view on this particular issue makes me the mature Christian. And I guess, okay, I have to put up with you other immature Christians that don't get it like I do. Be really careful of that heart posture. We all tend to start there. Maybe start by thinking, maybe I'm the weaker brother or the weaker Christian. 
And remember that some of these issues the enemy would love to use to divide us when they don't need to be. So that one, this one could go on forever. I will stop there. That was just my heart to you and my heart to the elders as, as I met with them. Okay, a couple more. So our new values, which again, context for those of you new here today, we have a new set of values as a congregation. Let's see if I can remember them off the top of my head. I guarantee I don't have them written down right now. So as a church, we value being intergenerational. We value that we are based in scripture. We value that everyone be involved in ministry. We value authenticity, which I know sounds like a trendy word, but basically what we mean by that is that, is that more than trying to you know, have fancy structures and a show up here, we want everything we do to actually be real and authentic. We value that a lot. And also relationship, and meaning relationship with God and each other, that that is so core to who we are as a people. So those were the five values that we landed on that kind of describe who we've been and who we are as a church. So anyway, with that, our new values reflect who we are, past and present, and hopefully give us some confidence and stability to become a healthy family. I would recommend reviewing these yearly as you intentionally move toward a more outward focus. So I'll, I'll say a bit more about this later, but in a transition year, you definitely are going to be much more inwardly focused because it's about healing, and it's about, again, believing in who God's called you to be as a church. So it's been important, and so some of these values reflect that importance of family and stability and all the rest of that. But let's not forget that ultimately, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're not called to just make it good for us so that we have a nice little happy family, but we actually have a mission. We actually have a message that is to be shared with the world around us. So as much as it can feel good to go, okay, we're doing better now, and again, church health is so important, so I'm not saying rush that in any way, but I'm saying yearly look at these values and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to make us more outward focused in what we value and what we want to move towards as a church. And I give you one of my favorite outreach verses, which is 1 Peter 3.15 that says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And you know, what I really love about this verse and also what really convicts me about this verse is that the assumption is I'm supposed to live life in such a way that the people that I'm in relationship with are supposed to go, hey, phrase, what's up with you? Why have you got hope? What's going on in your life that gives you hope and meaning in your life? Tell me about it. And that's convicting, right? Because am I living that kind of life? And am I actually in relationship with the kind of people that might see that side of me and go, tell me about the hope that's in you? That, that's where it starts. If it's real for us, we earn the right to share. We don't just assume and do it with gentleness and respect. So anyway, remember that as, you, as you, we live out our, our Jesus-following lives. Okay, I keep flying along here. All right, now this one's one that I've jumped up and down a bit about before, so some of you are going, oh, this one again. Here we go. Anyway, something that's really, really important to me as a leader and that I want to say to you as a church is this concept of truth-telling. Leadership often withholds information to both protect individuals and the congregation. 
This comes from honorable intentions, but, is, but usually backfires since what people speculate is most often worse than reality. Now, the reason I'm so passionate about this is because, sadly, I've walked through it more times than I would like to admit, where I've been on a leadership team that had something really hard happen in the church, and it was like, okay, what's the best way to handle this? Well, if we say too much, we're going to really hurt our pastors, so we better not say much. And if we say too much, we're going to really hurt people in the congregation, and we don't want to do that. So maybe the best thing to do is just to say as little as possible and try to manage this and hopefully we'll get through it. Now that sounds really gracious, right? And usually leaders do that not because they're like somehow evil and want to withhold information from congregations, but they truly do think they're doing the right thing because they want to honor God and protect people and not slander and hurt people. It's really, really hard. And the deeper and the more the deeper the, the issues get with people being hurt and so on, the harder it gets. But that's why I say to leadership teams all the time, and I'd say to you as a church, we need to be truth-tellers. And again, that doesn't mean be slanderers. doesn't mean to um, air dirty laundry inappropriately or unnecessarily. But it does mean we need to name the issues do it as gently as we can, but the truth needs to be named. And I don't think there's any healing. Healing doesn't happen if people are still going, well, what really happened there? Why was this person mad? What was wrong? Like, people say this about the pastor. What did leadership really think? As hard as it is sometimes to sound like we're maybe saying negative things about people, we have to risk the truth in order for healing to happen. And this will never be easy, for you as a congregation or for your future leadership teams. But if I can just encourage you, be committed to this. Because even if it gets really ugly for a short period of time, it's a way more healthier in the long run because without truth, there's no healing. There's no moving on. Otherwise, like some of you said, you just keep sweeping things under the carpet and hope that everybody will forget about it and move on. And they don't. They just get more mad and more cynical and then the next time it comes around, they just go, here we go again. And I sure hope and pray that we don't ever have to hear, here we go again. Be committed to, be committed to this. But as Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, speak the truth in love. In speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. Without speaking the truth in love to each other, we don't grow in maturity. So... I will leave you with that. Okay, wait, don't quite go to the next one yet. Okay, so now it's my last two summation slides. And again, I'm risking a little bit here because I'm just giving you pretty much what I gave the elders because I thought it would be beneficial for all of you as a congregation. But again, this is now, all, this is even more now just Don's view and opinion. But these are, this is my quick list of strengths and weaknesses of Bridgeway. So you ready? Okay, strengths of Bridgeway. The demographic of young families, while respecting our intergenerational value, strategically invest, meaning money, space, renovation, staffing, volunteers in this area. Now, intergenerational is one of our values, and this doesn't mean that I'm saying that any generation is more important than another. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, you need to invest in your future. And you know what? The Sunday that this hit me, some of you might remember, there was a Sunday when we had this row of families up here dedicating their babies. I forget how many there was, eight. I saw all of these young couples and all of these babies, 
And just everything in my spirit went, this is the future of Bridgeway. This is the future of Bridgeway. Invest in these people in every way. Because as, as all of those babies and children and families grow up together, that will be the strength of your church. So that's a real strength that I see here. There's many churches that would just salivate at having the potential of all of those young couples and those young kids to know what your future could be. A strength of Bridgeway, to me, and you worship people are so sick of hearing me say this already, but I hope you hear it with encouragement. The number and commitment of musicians and worship leaders. It's really profound here. I know you take it for advantage, it, you take it for granted, and I know that worship and music always becomes the most controversial thing, and half of you here are going, oh, our music's terrible. But you know what? I've been in so many churches where they fight almost every week to have enough musicians and committed worship leaders, and scheduling worship leaders and teams is such a headache, and sound people, and all the rest of that, and you're really blessed here. Here we are on the long weekend, and you had a full band. If you haven't experienced other churches, like, I, well, yeah. I just think it's an amazing, and I think it's a great strength. Keep encouraging these people, and keep fanning this ministry into flame. It's, it's a strength of yours. Um, the dedication to family and relationships, and, and what I mean by that is, we have some work to do in terms of the formal structures for doing care in this church. Actually, I'll rephrase that. We have some really big work to do in order to deal with some of the structures for care in this church, so I'll set that aside. But a real, the reason that things go so well here is that there's such an incredible organic connection of care between, between many of you. And um, I know that some of you are probably thinking, wow, I don't feel very cared about, so I don't know what you're seeing, and I'm really sorry if that's your experience, but I would say in general, I just love to see those organic structures of how care happens between you as people. When Darren talks about you being a family, I really do see that, and I think that's awesome, and I see that as a strength. Um, I know you always wish you had more leaders and more volunteers, and every church does, but the loyalty and commitment of your key leaders and volunteers is very admirable. And I could go on and on about that, but you have incredibly gifted people. My, my only fear in any of that would be that you burn out and discourage some of them because they do too much. But the commitment is very encouraging to me. Thank you. And then this last one you can all kind of laugh at, but uh, this is how I see Bridgeway. I, I see you as a balanced church. I see you having real opportunity to kind of find the middle ground when so many churches are about, we're just trying to find our niche, or so many people are looking for, I'm trying to find a church that believes everything I believe, or does everything the way I like it. Mm. But I think if a church tries to be a church that's about, I'm going to reach this demographic, I'm going to reach people that like this, I'm, you know, like, I think maybe that's a bit dangerous, but for some, if they're called, bless them, do it. But I think you have a real advantage to be a balanced church. And so what do I mean by that? Um, not too traditional, not too charismatic, not trendy, but also not overly conservative. Most generations are represented well. You're casual, informal, but also have a care for order. And you're biblically focused, but not legalistic. And again, that's just my, my view of you of watching you over this year and a half. All right. And one more. The strengths of Bridgeway. Oh, no, that was a strength. Sorry, weaknesses. So here they are. I just want to do strengths. I'll do these ones quickly. I would suggest you have too many ministries. You need fewer and more focused ministries, and that would help curb volunteer fatigue. It would encourage gift alignment, 
so that you wouldn't have a lot of people going, oh, okay, I'll do it because it needs to be done, but it's actually you have a passion for it and you're gifted in it and you want to do it. And when I see that happen, that is just so beautiful to see. So anyway, this is so easy for me as a leader to say and so hard to do. Because you see, every ministry that's been created here has a history. And the history of that ministry is that at some point, that ministry was really effective and reached a lot of people and some people love it because it did amazing things. And so it's really, really hard for leaderships to continue to evaluate your ministries to keep it streamlined. So can I encourage you to back them up on this? It's hard. Like we spent half the year with ministry team evaluating all the action teams thinking that maybe we could find a bunch that we could amalgamate together or eliminate so that we could be more efficient in how we run, and it was really hard to do because there was always a good reason to keep everyone. So again, this is really hard to do, but kind of encourage you to, to keep on this path because you can't do everything. You need to do the work on your knees to find out what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do as a church. That's why there's many churches because churches are going to uniquely do different ministries while you can't do everything. Find out what God has uniquely called you to do and you to be and do that well. That would be my my recommendation to you. This one sounds kind of harsh. Sorry, I don't mean this to reflect anybody or any leader that's ever been in this area. But, you know, just the building neglect. And what I mean by that is, this is so hard to. And again, I hear a lot of people say to me, you know, I don't want to give to buildings and church structures. I don't want to give to the institution. Yuck, giving to the institution. I want to give to people. I want to give to ministry. And that sounds really good, and I kind of agree. Here's the problem, or or the good thing. This building is where a lot of the ministry happens. This building is a tool to use for ministry. It is not the ministry, it's the tool for it. It's the tool for reaching people. And so I would just encourage you, don't neglect it, invest in it, Treat it well. And again, not so that we can brag about we have a pretty, cool, or trendy building. It's not about any of that. It's about investing in ministry and investing in people. And you know, just my one little example would be when I think of your MOPS program, and it's one of the programs here that has many people from the community maybe come into church for the first time. Do you want them coming into a church where thing, you know, whatever, the bathrooms are gross and there's wall, and there's roof, a roof is leaking. Like, you want these young mums to know when we come into this building, we feel safe. This is a safe, clean, and good place to be. And again, I realize it is expensive. It's an old building. It's so hard to know how to prioritize. We're stretched thin everywhere. I get it. I'm just saying, this is a ministry tool. I'd encourage you to keep investing in it and keep encouraging your leaders that want to do the work to have our building be great. And I know that many do. And again, it's not an accusation on anyone. It's just an encouragement to see your building in that way. Um, and I talked a bit about this earlier, but, the, but just beware of inward focus. Church health needs to be the priority during a transition, but staying there too long will stifle growth. And you know, as I said earlier, one of your strengths is family, but sometimes a person's greatest strength, you also have to be worried about the shadow side. And I kind of see that here. So you have a great strength of some of this organic kind of family, and you have a great strength in the fact that you have many families here that enjoy like the multi-generation aspect of having lots of family in the church. Two thumbs up to that. That's awesome. I bless you. But can I encourage you 
to realize that when you're church family, be really careful that even by not meaning it, that you don't exclude people or make people feel like they're, they're not part of the family of, of God or the church family. So again, just to, to keep the good in that, but also to be, to be careful about not becoming exclusive in those ways. And then my last point here, communication. And I, I go all over with this. So everything from as simple as signage, we're actually getting new signs out there. Your signs have bugged me from the very beginning. You guys are on such a beautiful street and you have a nice looking building and people drive by and we don't even have the right times on there. Like just simple things that communicate well who you are, when you start, what you do would be, would be really, really helpful. And I know Darren and the ministry team, they've heard me rant about this, some of this stuff. But more importantly than that kind of stuff is what I say here next, going to the right source or the right person rather than gossip. And you know, when you have a problem with something or a concern or even an idea that's good, you have every right to be, you're a part of this church family, but go to the right person. Don't just talk about it amongst your friends and go, oh, that church, that leadership team, why don't they do this and this and this different? Instead, why don't you go to them and say, hey, I have an idea, or hey, we have a concern about this, even with Darren. Especially don't wait for a church meeting. Like, that's the worst to me. If you have a real issue or problem with something, and you just say, I'm just going to wait for the church meeting so that I can stand up and hear everybody gasp because I'm going to bring my terrible issue of what the pastor did or what the board did, that's not the place to do it. Go to the right people first with your concerns, with your hurt, with your pain, even with your anger or whatever, but go to the right source and the right person. That is so important to to be healthy. Um, Yeah, reading, preparing documents before meetings, and this isn't just picking on the leaders, but I'm going to pick on everybody here a little bit. Um, Okay, all of you action team leaders and ministry team leaders and people that lead ministries, you only write one report a year to communicate with your church what you do, Can I encourage you, do a good job of it and get it in and communicate to your church family. It is so important. And church family, when your leaders prepare a report and you don't even read it, like that's just pure poor communication because this is, we don't have verbal reports anymore. When you come to a meeting, read the stuff and actually think through some questions you may have, both to affirm and encourage the leaders, but also to hold them accountable. They need that. They don't need you to just sit there and go, oh shoot, I should have read that three-line report. No, put some more effort into communicating with each other, and it'll matter. It'll matter to your leaders, and it'll matter to you as a congregation. So I encourage you to do that, and leadership teams, I've talked to you all about, about that too, with reports and all those kinds of things. All right, and just the last one here is just promptness to respond. And I I know that that's something we've talked about at a leadership level, that when people do come forward with issues or problems, that we respond promptly out of respect to people. So important. So we've talked about that as leadership as an area we need to improve on, but that's for all of us. Don't let things sit when when there's hurts, offenses, questions, or whatever. Have the tough conversations. Go to people quickly and deal with it so it doesn't have time to take root and get even worse. So, encourage you with all that as well. All right, thank you for putting up with that long verbal State of the Union address or whatever you want to call it. So I end with these verses from Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again 
by a yoke of slavery. And this would be my final word to you, church at Bridgeway. Christ has done good work in you to set you free, both personally and however that looks in your spiritual life, but also, I believe, as a congregation, to set you free from that that self-image or that perception that I talked about at the beginning, to actually point you towards your mission, to point you towards hope and possibility as a church. He set you free to be the church that he's called you to be. And so can I just ask you and plead with you in the name of Jesus, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now in the context of this church that Paul's writing to in Galatia, they were a church that heard the gospel and they were a people that embraced that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus came to fulfill the law and to set them free from sin and death and give them hope for the future. And yet these people, with all of that good news, with all of that gospel, they wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to believe in Jesus, but they still wanted to have that law. And Paul is going, what are you thinking? Don't go back to slavery. You've been set free. Christ has died and rose again from the dead and put his spirit in you and given you this movement to be a part of that is about grace and healing and forgiveness and moving forward in the name of Christ. The last thing we need is another religious organization that just keeps people in bondage. Don't go back. Bridgeway, don't go back. Don't go back to hiding and fear and gossip and slander. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to legalism and mistrusting each other and judging each other. Don't go back. Walk in freedom. That's why I set you free. Further down in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, often when we read, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, or some translations will say the sinful nature, we right away think of just all the typical, the typical sins of the flesh. And I'm not saying that they're not implied here. But I think the number one thing that's implied here is that when we are set free, when we understand what it means to be free in Christ, often our first reaction can be, no, I'm just free to do whatever the heck I want. I can say no to what I want to. I can pick and choose what I want to do. I can pick and choose if I come to church. I can pick and choose because I'm free. I can do whatever I want, and no one can tell me what to do, especially not you church institutional leaders. Don't you tell me anything because I'm free in Christ. I would suggest to you that that might be the number one indulging in the flesh. Why are we set free? We're not set free to indulge our sinful nature to do whatever the heck we want. We are set free to serve. We are set free to join in Christ's mission. He has set us free to call us family so that we can join in on the family business, which is bringing his kingdom and his rule and his hope and his life to this entire world. That's what we're set free to do. We are set free to engage. We are set free to be in relationship with each other. We are set free to use our gifts. We are set free to mutually live in submission with each other so that we can live healthy, godly lives in Christ. That's what we're set free to do. So I can encourage you to walk in your freedom. That's why he set you free. 
Paul so boldly says here that the whole law can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, if I could ever get that fully. So Bridgeway Church, stand firm. Walk in your freedom. Be the church that Jesus has called and will continue to call you to be. I think you are well set for the next chapter. There's so much hope and possibility in this place. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your congregation for this last year and a half. I've been telling people I love being a transitional pastor. There's only one thing I hate about it. I hate goodbyes. (laughs) When you learn to love a people and you know that you need to walk away. And so that's really hard for me. But um, it's been a privilege. And thank you all for being so generous and open to me in this last time. So, bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well let's finish now by coming to the table together. So I'll invite the servers and the worship team, they come join me. So I'm going to invite you to all come to the table today. Um, How we will do this, just from an instructions point of view, is that after I pray, um, the music will begin, and we'll just ask you to make two lines up the aisle, and you will be served the elements here. Um, This tray here is gluten-free, just so you know that. The other isn't, so just know that when when you come forward. So let's prepare our hearts to come to the table. You know, when Jesus sat down with his disciples, these were his closest companions, the people he dearly, dearly loved. And they sat down for their yearly tradition, which in their culture was called Passover, and kind of like Christmas for us, a yearly thing that was very very much understood, because they did it every year, but also very special, because it was only done once a year. And yet it was at this Passover meal where Jesus went off script and created something new. And that's what we do when we have communion, when we come to the Lord's Supper. We get to participate in something new that Jesus did that changed everything forever. And that's why I like to remind you that though this is an important and a serious time, this is also a celebration. This is a celebration of the victory we have in Jesus. And so you may need to take a few minutes to get your heart right between you and Jesus and to speak some words of blessing to maybe some people that you're harboring things. Do that inner work. But when you do that inner work, you can come to this table of blessing and celebration. And I want to invite you to come to, to Jesus' table. So the scripture tells us when Jesus met with those close friends, one point in the meal, he took bread and he broke it. He passed it out to all of them. And he said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus wasn't saying, this is my body broken 
and so feel really sad when you see my body be broken in a few days? That was going to happen. But what he meant when he said, this is my body given to you, Jesus meant, I'm the bread of life, remember? I am your sustenance. I am your food. I am your nourishment. I am your everything. I am the bread of life. I'm asking you to eat of me, of my life. I give you my life. So when you come to the table today and you take the bread, take in Jesus. He is your life. Eat of him. Come to the bread of life. So Jesus gave him the gift of himself, the bread of life. And then later in the meal, there's actually many cups at a Passover, but Jesus took one of those cups. And interestingly enough, it was called the cup of redemption, which again, was just part of their tradition. But that's the, that's the one when Jesus said, okay, we're going off script here, Passover friends. He said, this cup, this cup of redemption that you're used to every year, this cup's special now. This is the new plan. This is the new covenant. This is my blood, my life blood shed for you. This is forgiveness of sin. This is the defeat of death. This is hope, future possibility, the filling of the Spirit. This is the new plan in me, in my kingdom. Drink all of it. In many ways, I know, again, we're so used to communion being a very somber, reflective time, and there's, there's definitely times it should be that way. But this is almost like a toast. A toast to the new kingdom. The new kingdom of hope, of forgiveness, of life, of freedom. It's the new plan. We live it all the time if we embrace it. That's what Jesus declared. So come and eat of the bread of life. And let Jesus pour the life of his blood into you for forgiveness and for freedom and for life. So I invite you today, come to the table and come receive of Jesus and give him all the thanksgiving he deserves for giving you life today. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, in your name, we just speak blessing over these elements. May your bread, your body, the bread of life, fill each person here. And may the new covenant, your blood, bring forgiveness and hope and life. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Shed for me, and thou, thou bidst me come.
Bridgeway congregation, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes face to shine upon you with favor and give you peace. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.